AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk. Comedians or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Movie Mike's Movie Podcast. I am Mike on Instagram and Twitter at Mike Distro. Now I did some research on some movies based on real stories and I also threw it out on Twitter of what your favorite movies based on real stories were and I took all that and kind of compiled it into this episode. So what I did was researched how accurate they were, if certain scenes actually happened, and if characters who were portrayed in movies are a representation of what they were in real life, or in some cases, if those characters actually existed in real life or just made up to add to the story. So I'll get into all of that. Um, I'm covering The Revenant, Remember the Titans, Catch Me If You Can, Walk the Line, and a couple others. I'll also get into my review of Bad Boys for Life, which is the third installment in the Bad Boys franchise. And I'll also give my list, inspired by that movie, of things that happen in movies that don't actually happen in real life. I'll get my top five there. And also, I'm running a contest right now on my Instagram page. So if you go follow me at Mike Distro, there's a way you can enter in to win a $50 gift card and a movie prize pack, all just by making your Oscar picks. So those are happening this Sunday. You screenshot this little graphic I have up there, make your picks and tag me in it. Make sure you're following me and it'll enter you in that contest. All the details on my Instagram page at Mike Distro. And if it's your first time here, I just want to say welcome. And I have brand new episodes every single Monday. So if you enjoy this episode, um, wherever you're listening, just hit follow, just hit subscribe, and you'll get brand new episodes there every single Monday. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, it helps me out a whole bunch when you leave a five-star review. So if you go down there just to the bottom, hit those five stars, write a little something about the podcast. It helps other people, maybe like you who are just scrolling through and found this episode on accident and were like, oh, this is interesting. I'll listen to this. If you liked it, it'll help other people kind of discover it too. So 
All that to say, a lot to get to on this week's episode. Um, a lot of movie research I did, so I hope you guys enjoy this. Without further ado, let's get started. In a world where everyone and their mother has a podcast, one man stands to infiltrate the ears of listeners like never before in a movie podcast. A man with so much movie knowledge, he's basically like a walking IMDb with glasses. From the Nashville Podcast Network, this is Movie Mike's Movie Podcast. So we see this happen all the time. You watch a movie trailer and you notice right there at the bottom it says, based on a true story. And all of a sudden you're like, holy crap, all that stuff happened? And in some cases it does, but it's Hollywood. A lot of the times they'll take a story and there'll be little plot lines, little twists in the story where it's like, well, maybe it didn't exactly happen, but for it to be a better movie, to it kind of play out the way you would write a movie, they embellish just a little bit. So what I did is I fact-checked some movies based on true stories. So I'd been working on this idea for a bit. You really got to dive into some research here. So I also threw it up on Twitter asking people, what's your favorite movie based on a true story? So I took some of those and added them in here too as well. When I got into this research, I just was kind of stunned at how they take maybe just a little portion of like a blurb that somebody said, either written in a book or in an interview, and they kind of made that a bigger point of the movie. And there's also just stuff that just didn't happen, which are also like some of the most famous things you remember from this movie that eh, were completely true. Now, I don't think it's a bad thing that you kind of maybe play up some things. It's, it's a movie. You're going to make things more dramatic. You're going to make it to where, okay, this feels more like a whole story that goes together because a lot of times stuff is taken out of sequence which is the main thing that i found or it, like it just doesn't happen the way it did maybe it did happen at some point but not exactly like oh this happened and this happened and all this stuff happened that wouldn't happen in real life real life things doesn't don't work that way so i think that's a lot of it i also think there's just some stuff that just maybe taken an over dramatic step and also love interest those just get thrown into a hollywood movie you have to have a love interest and in some particular cases there isn't one so they add one in to kind of make the story overall have a, an encompassing feel to it. So that's kind of what I found in here. So I'm starting first with The Revenant, which is a story based in a, like happened a really long time ago. So it's set in the 1820s. You know it for Leonardo DiCaprio, who actually finally won an Oscar for playing Hugh Glass in the movie. So the movie follows his journey in the American wilderness. And the famous scene we all know is when he gets mauled by the bear. And mainly what I want to know is, did he actually get mauled by a bear? So, so in the movie, the scene goes where he gets in the middle of between a mama bear and the cub. And then he gets mauled. And then after he gets mauled, he is just so badly beaten, so badly just ripped apart that the two guys stay behind um, with him until basically he dies so they could bury him. And in the movie, they're like, he's, you know, just not dying. So we're just going to bury him and leave him. So the guy, Hugh Glass in the movie, ends up surviving. He crawls his way out and then seeks vengeance on Tom Hardy's character in the movie. First of all, I wanted to know... Was he actually even attacked by a bear? Setting this movie kind of in a play setting, it's set in really cold, hard times. And what I found is the actual bear attack took place during the summer. So in the movie, you see him, you know, he's freezing cold, there's icicles in his beard. Well, that bear attack actually happened in the summer. So, and there was also no written, of course, there's not going to be a lot of written stuff back in the day, but there, he never gave like a first person count of the bear attack. It was later he was interviewed and somebody wrote it down, which is the first time it was ever written. But this actual bear attack 
was never really spoken about or written about by him himself. So basically what they're saying is his bear attack was just greatly embellished over time and it maybe didn't exactly happen on this trip where the movie takes place. So he was left for dead and he did drag his battered body like over 100 miles in pursuit of the guys who left him for dead. But however, in the movie, he is seeking vengeance on Tom Hardy's character after he murdered his son, which in real life, the guy Hugh Glass didn't have a son and there was no evidence that he even had a Pawnee wife in the movie like he did. So no wife, no half-son, no murder took place, which kind of takes away that that theme and that plot line of him seeking revenge in the movie. He did actually pursue those men who left him behind for dead, but he never really had that confrontation like he did in the movie because he later found out that one of the guys who left him um, joined the army, so if he actually tried to fight him and attack him, he would be in really big trouble. So that confrontation actually never happened. It was all just the Hollywood plotline. And one thing that Leonardo actually did for this movie that was actually true is he did sleep in discarded bison carcasses to prepare for this role because the director of this movie wanted to be, he didn't want to use a lot of special effects. He wanted it to be you know, really realistic because he felt if they did it all like in a studio with special effects that you wouldn't get that kind of feel of them actually like struggling in the cold. So they actually filmed on location and, you know, people were getting upset all the time because it was harsh environments. But yes, Leonardo DiCaprio did sleep in a bison carcass to prepare for this role. That was true. So in all, yes, the bear attack happened. Maybe not at the timeline that they said in this movie, and he did not have a half-son or a wife, and he really did not seek vengeance in this. So, a little bit of Hollywood embellishment here on The Revenant. Moving on to Remember the Titans. So, we all know this movie, a very inspirational movie that I watched all the time throughout grade school. It was shown a lot in my history classes. But let's take a look at how much of Remember the Titans was actually true. So first of all, were all the Titans players in the movie based on real people? And the truth is, yes, a majority of the people were based on real Titans players. However, they did add a few characters. So Ryan Gosling's character in the movie, Alan, was not a real person. Like In the movie, it shows um, Ryan Gosling's character giving away his spot on the team to another teammate played by Donald Faison. And that was actually just added to the movie to kind of emphasize like the selflessness that characters gain throughout the movie. There is also the character Ray Buds, who was kicked off by the team's captain, Jerry Bertier. And that actually never happened. Former Titans players actually said that this type of player would have been kicked off the team like during training camp. So way before the season ever started, unlike in the movie. So in the movie, they all get in the bus and go to training camp. And that actually really did happen. Coach Boone wanted to put them all into buses to kind of integrate them together to force each other to learn about each other's cultures. But what the movie did make up is when the Titans go to the camp at Gettysburg College that um, they spent a week training there. But he never made them wake up at 3 a.m. and run to the Gettysburg Cemetery. That actually did not happen. The team did tour like the battlefields on that Sunday they were at camp, but there was actually a guide there who did much of the talking, not like Coach Boone did in the movie. So although he did give them like a lot of those motivational speeches that took place during the movie, this one during the run at 3 a.m. did not happen just for the movie. If we don't come together right now on this hollow ground, we too will be destroyed. 
looking at some of the characters in the movie. So, you know, Sunshine is the guy with the long hair who came from California to play on the team. Um, he was a real character. That was a real person. But his long-haired hippie characteristics were just kind of made up for the movie. And even the scene where he kisses Jerry on the lips, like in the locker room, that was made up for the movie. Didn't happen in real life. Another thing that we see in the movie is that when they're all starting the first day of school, um, it shows a bunch of protesters outside of the high school on that first day. And that actually didn't really happen. Like, people knew that way before the first day of school, so there was nobody out there waiting for them when they came into school. And um, this kind of takes me to the other scene is when Coach Boone is in his living room and a brick gets thrown through his window, which that scene we all know. actually did happen where somebody vandalized his house like that in like a drive-by situation but what they actually threw through his window was a toilet like an actual toilet commode they threw it through his window but i think disney when they were making the movie they thought that they would be like a like too funny to be on screen that people would laugh if a toilet came through the window in that scene so instead they switched it to a brick to make it more dramatic and coach boone in real life didn't actually have a gun so immediately in that situation after that brick comes flying through, he goes and grabs a gun and then walks out the front door. Yeah, he said in an interview later that he actually doesn't own a gun, so that was also made up just to make it more dramatic. And then hopping into the actual game at the very end where there's this whole plot line that the refs have it rigged for the Titans to lose so that Coach Boone will get fired. That actually wasn't true. The other coach who actually goes and confronts the, the referee in the movie said that that didn't really happen. He said they got their fair share of bad calls, but on this particular game, it didn't really have anything to do with racism. So that was kind of just made up for the movie. And while we're on this coach, so his daughter in the movie is Hayden Panettiere, who in the movie is just a super football fanatic, and she's at every game yelling stuff and going over game tape. In reality, she wasn't that big of a fanatic. Like, she was there at every game with him but she wasn't as animated as they made her in the movie that was just kind of added on because there was even a scene where they go and they visit each other's families and the two girls are playing they actually never hung out like that also going back to that championship game is that it's seen that jerry is taken out of the game because he is was paralyzed in a car accident but that actually in real life happened after the season was over so the whole plot line of him actually Getting hit by a car and being paralyzed did happen, but he actually played in that championship game. But in the movie, he's seen in the hospital and doesn't participate. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. 
Ready? Let's go. Give me a vacation. Vacation. Give me a golf course. 70 courses. Let's get a water sport. Can I get excursions? Time for chill vibes. Beach yoga. How about a garden tour? Give me a dolphin. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at sandiego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Moving on now to another Leonardo DiCaprio movie, one of my favorites, Catch Me If You Can, which is about Frank Abagnale, which all starts with him writing bad checks and it leads to him impersonating an airline pilot, a lawyer, and a doctor. So, first of all, the first kind of scene in this movie where he impersonates his high school teacher, because he's in high school and then he walks into another classroom and he takes over the, the class as him being the teacher and then he gets his parents called into the school that first thing actually didn't happen. That was all made up for the movie. But everything after that of him impersonating an airline pilot and impersonating a lawyer and a doctor, he all did that successfully. It's not as, like like the movie kind of lays it out as one happening after another and he's just like on this rampage of just doing all these things at once. It didn't really happen like that. It's kind of taken from different parts of his life because a lot of these things took a lot more time than it kind of shows in the movie. He didn't quickly move on to one after another after another. But he did, in fact, pose as like a student newspaper writer to learn as much as he could about being a pilot. And he ended up getting that that uniform because he has a claim that he lost his. That actually happened. But everything else is just kind of taken from different parts of his life and kind of molded together to make this kind of movie of where he's doing all these things. And Tom Hanks's character is trying to catch him while he's doing them all. It just kind of creates this like cold cat and mouse relationship throughout the film, which makes it fun to watch, but actually not how it happened in real life. So that kind of leads me to Tom Hanks' character, which in reality, there is no Carl. He plays Carl in the movie of the guy who's just trying to catch Leonardo DiCaprio in this. And his character is actually a combination of many agents who, over the years, try to find Frank. So there was no one agent in particular that served as like the main basis of this character. They kind of just took a bunch of different people and then put him into this one character and did not include a real name. So his character is made up, but what he did was factual. It was just um, compiled from several different agents who worked on this case of capturing him. Well, tough luck, Carl. Five minutes earlier, you would have landed yourself a pretty good collar. It's all right. Ten seconds later, and you'd have been shot. Another part that I thought was made up was actually true was his night with the escort. So Jennifer Gardner plays this escort in the movie. So he meets her at this hotel, and after negotiating a price for their night together, they settle on $1,000. The girl convinces him to, instead of going out to cast a check for $1,400, that he just endorsed the check, and she'll pay him the difference of $400. So this actually was a transaction that actually happened between Frank, and the woman even went to the police to report the fraud. But by that time, but by that time he was long gone, and they were after him for a lot more than this $400. So one thing that the movie did make up was his arrest. So after evading Tom Hanks's character, he heads to France and he hides out in his mom's hometown. And then Carl finally catches up with Frank and convinces him to turn himself over to French authorities. But in reality, it was Frank who his like womanizing ended up getting him captured that he, while he was in France, he spotted a flight attendant that he once dated and she informed police about him and he was arrested by French authorities, but it was without any involvement with the FBI. Frank actually did end up spending a good amount of time in French prison. He was there for about half a year, which it was actually a lot harsher than portrayed in the film. And then after serving half a year there, he was transferred to Sweden for serving out some time for some crimes he committed there. And he was about to be extradited to Italy, but a judge canceled his passport so he'd be sent back to America, 
where it kind of does kind of line up with the movie. But there is a scene where he's in the plane with Tom Hanks. He's finally getting back sent to the U.S. And he escapes the plane through a toilet, which they're saying that never really happened because the pilot said that that is impossible to do. Like those, the, the, the airplane is like seal airtight that there's no way that he could crawl through such a small hole because it's like the hole he would have to crawl through is like four inches. So a person would have to be pretty small and it would be pretty messy for him to get to that. But there's real no truth to that part of the movie. They said like no matter what are able to carve out through that bathroom, there's really no place to get to any other part of the plane to escape like that. So what is true is that the movie does have almost like a happy ending because he does, in fact, go to work for the FBI after this. So since he was such an expert in forging checks, they actually used his skills to catch other people doing the same kind of crimes that he did in the movie. And it is true that he also did work with one of the agents who ended up arresting him. Although it was not Tom Hanks. That was all made up. But yeah, I just thought that was pretty interesting as far as that he actually did that stuff in the movie. Like a lot of that stuff he was able to pull off. It wasn't as lighthearted and kind of fun as they made it in the movie that he was just like having a great time doing all this stuff. Like a lot of that stuff took a lot of like really diligent work and planning out and it caused like a lot of stress on him. All that stuff that he did was actually true. Moving on now to the Johnny Cash biopic, Walk the Line came out in 2005 and was one of my favorite biopics of all time. Um, Joaquin Phoenix as Johnny Cash, Reese Witherspoon as June Carter Cash. The first thing I kind of decided to dive into was, did Johnny Cash's older brother really die in a table saw accident like he did in the movie? And the answer is yes, but it was just at a different location and kind of at a different time that they place it in the movie. So in the movie, it shows that Johnny was on his way home from a fishing spot when his dad, Ray Cash, picked him up and he's kind of yelling at him like, hey, where have you been? And he goes and takes him home and shows him his brother in bed with, you know, all the blood on him. But in reality, Johnny Cash's brother, Jack, was actually working in the high school axe shop, cutting oak trees into a fence post on a table saw that had no guard on it. So he was not in a shed like it was in the movie. He was actually at a high school. And in the movie, he kind of dies right after this. But in reality, his brother, Jack, who was 14 years old, he actually held on a week before passing away. And then you kind of get into, did Johnny Cash's father really blame him for his brother's death? And the answer was yes. Like in the movie, his father openly stated that they took the wrong son. It was actually Johnny Cash's daughter, Kathy, who stated in a biography about Johnny Cash that, yeah, her grandfather did blame Johnny Cash for the death of Jack. And that Johnny had this real just sad guilt about his brother passing like his whole life. So on a lighter note, um, why'd they all dress in black? So in the movie, they imply that Johnny Cash and his band had nothing else to wear going into their audition. So they all decided to wear black. And he even says kind of this dramatic line of like, oh, his wife tells him, oh, it looks like you're going to a funeral. And he's like, maybe I am. That actually didn't happen. So it was actually the first concert they ever did in public. It was at a church in North Memphis. And Johnny Cash and the band were just trying to find shirts that were alike. And they wanted to dress the same. And the only color they all owned was black. They wore all black for the first time at that performance. And it kind of just stuck. So it wasn't really for the audition like it said in the movie. Which getting into this audition, in the movie, it shows that Johnny Cash waited outside of Sun Records um, for the studio exec Sam Phillips to come into work. And he kind of like tracks him down and tries to get an audition. Um, It didn't really go down like that. Like Johnny had been knocking on the door at the record place for a long time and getting turned away. He like called him several times for an interview. And one morning he did actually like track him down. He found out like when he went into work and he sat down with his guitar and played on the steps for him. And he introduced himself. And then after that, he told him to come back tomorrow with some better musicians. 
So in the movie, Sam Phillips stops them mid-performance and is like, hey, what are you guys doing here? One song that would sum you up. You telling me that's the song you'd sing. That same Jimmy Davis tune we hear on the radio all day about your peace within and how it's real and how you're going to shout it. Or would you sing something different? So the actual audition was not as dramatic as they made it seem. Johnny Cash did claim that at one point he did sing a gospel song in the audition. He actually did play Folsom Prison Blues and other non-gospel songs um, before that whole thing kind of played out like it did in the movie. And he even ended up recording that song, I Was There When It Happened, for Sun Records in 1957. Also in the movie, it shows Johnny Cash being arrested for smuggling drugs in his guitar case. And yes, that actually did happen. In October 1965, Johnny Cash was arrested in El Paso, Texas for attempting to smuggle amphetamines across the Mexican border in his guitar case. It's a fairly accurate depiction of his arrest that's shown in the movie. So that part was true. There was one thing that was a big part of Johnny Cash's life that I thought wasn't shown in the movie, which kind of revolves around his um, drug abuse, was that he actually trashed the stage of the Grand Ole Opry, but it's not shown in the movie. The real Johnny Cash broke the stage lights after he was told that he couldn't perform there. And then four years after that happened, he actually found himself back at the Grand Ole Opry um, performing for his show, The Johnny Cash Show, which debuted in 1969. The only kind of time that they show this in the movie is there's a scene where they're all on a stage drinking and smashing beer bottles and then um, Reese Witherspoon comes in and like tells them like you're not going to be able to walk the line if you're acting like this that scene actually didn't really happen but I thought that was the only kind of similar thing they worked in through the Opry incident and then you know in the movie he performs at Folsom Prison but in real life he didn't have to fight to make this concert happen he had actually been performing at prison since the late 50s and then although it's not shown in the movie but Johnny Cash's father Ray Cash was actually in attendance at the Folsom Prison concert. And the other thing that the movie did get right is Johnny Cash actually did propose to June Carter Cash on stage in front of 7,000 people while singing Jackson. Although it was made a little more dramatic in the movie, that actually happened. And then we get to the movie The Blind Side, which is about Michael Orr, the football player who went on to play in the NFL. And he kind of has come out saying that he doesn't like the way he was portrayed in this movie at all. Um, He even took it so far that he came out with the autobiography after the movie because he felt it wasn't a real representation of his life, that it kind of downplayed his situation, not only what he was going through and what his family was going through, but also just him as an athlete. He felt like it kind of made him seem like like a bit of a not a joke, but it kind of like lessened the hard work he put into playing football, because in the movie. Unlike it happened in real life is that he was actually playing football before this and he was actually a really great athlete leading up to this when he met uh, the Tui family. But in the movie, he's shown that, first of all, he was not found by the family just walking on the side of the road in the rain. Like he had actually known them beforehand. So they had started doing stuff like buying him clothes and paying for his lunch way before they encountered him like on the side of the road like they did in the movie. So they did take some just artistic liberties where in that scene he is um, found walking on the side of the road like he's going to the gym. But in reality, they didn't offer to take him to their place immediately. Instead, they picked him up the next day and took him shopping, mainly because they saw him walking in the cold in cut off jeans and a T-shirt. So they did take him home. Also in the movie, the Tui family wasn't the only family that he stayed with. In reality, it was several months after um, that roadside encounter where the Tui family welcomed Michael into their home. He was just staying with other people in the community, at least five different other families who helped him have a place to stay when, after they realized that he'd been homeless. 
But I think what the main thing that I'm kind of surprised was that the movie just dumbed down Michael's knowledge of football and it kind of made it seem like he was pushed to play football and also that he didn't really know anything about it, which he said later that it kind of took away like his kind of worth as an athlete in the NFL because he was just seen as the guy, oh, who had a Hollywood movie made about him and it just downgraded him as a player. Like he liked the person who played him in the movie but he felt that the producers and the directors and the writer of the movie just didn't give him the accurate portrayal of him to play. Like he did a great job in, in the movie, and even him, uh, Sandra Bullock playing his mom, who ended up winning an Oscar for the performance. Everything in the movie was great. It was just not really his story the way he wanted it to be told. Because even in the movie, he's seen as really like shy and reserved and kind of timid. In reality, they people at school said he had a really big personality. He was always outgoing. And in this in the movie, he just kind of played that way because it kind of fits the story a little bit better. So just from reading about his story and his life, it looks like it was just oversimplified and just kind of made into like a picture perfect Hollywood story, which I don't think is a completely bad thing. I think in the end, it's a great movie that people resonate with, even though it's not completely accurate in his life. I think it more so it kind of maybe sucks for him that he's portrayed as just now being the guy in that movie, which I get is just the downfalls of having somebody else tell your story. All right, I got one more I want to throw at you on this episode is the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. This one's a bit different because it's not actually based on a true story, but it was marketed that way. Like the entire plot is fictional, but when it came out in the 70s, it was marketed as a true story. And since then, I think people forget that it was a fictional story that even people now to this day, I, I like talk to people about Texas Chainsaw Massacre from Texas, and they're like, oh yeah, that really happened. No, this never happened. It was just all kind of misconstrued over the years. So I just wanted to put this one in there because it was actually based on a real murderer, a real serial killer, and his what he did to his victims was inspired to create this character, Leatherface and Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but all of this just did not really happen. So the character Leatherface in this movie was inspired by the real crimes of real-life murderer Ed Ginn, who would keep human remains. He would take human bones and skin and make things like couches out of them or masks out of them. So in real life, Ed Ginn did take several victims between 1954 and 1957, and they were pretty gruesome. Like, the real Ed Ginn did take a human scalp and face and wear it like a mask, just like Leatherface did. So there is some truth to that. But it wasn't because of a skin disease like they say Leatherface has in the movie. That was made up. He also actually did reportedly wear a vest made of skin complete with like female breasts and other stuff on it. So this all was taken from a real life murder scene. However, they never found that he actually used a chainsaw to kill his victims. Instead, he shot people with a pistol. So it might get a little gruesome here, but in November of 1957, police found a woman hanging from the rafters of a shed behind his house. And her body had been gutted, they said like a deer, and her head had been removed. And over time, Ed Ginn was linked to a lot of missing person reports. But that element of him having a chainsaw tracking people down, that was just made up in connection to the film. And in real life, Ed Ginn was not even from Texas. He lived in Wisconsin. So this was all just taken by the director of the first movie and turned into a successful movie franchise, saying it was kind of based on a real story, never really happened. None of those reboots never really happened. There's no such thing as Leatherface. So, let it be known, made up for a movie. All right, so let me know if you enjoyed this, because there are several other movies on my list. I tweeted this out 
um, a few days ago, and just a bunch of people replied to me with all these movies that they love based on true stories. And I really had a great time researching these. And if this was interesting to listen to, let me know because I'll do a part two or maybe even turn this into a series. So if you enjoyed this look into fact-checking movies, let me know and I'll do some more. If you have any suggestions, um, drop them on my Instagram or my Twitter at Mike Distro. All right, gonna get into my review now of Bad Boys for Life, which is the third installment in the Bad Boys franchise. You got Martin Lawrence back, Will Smith back, and I went into this movie just wanting to have a good time. I've been watching all these Best Picture nominees, a bunch of dramas, which kind of you really have to be dialed into and think about, and I wanted to go into the theater and just watch something that I could turn my brain off, laugh at, and just enjoy some big, high action on the big screen, which sometimes... You just need that in life. So when I review this movie, just know that I hold it to a bit of a different standard because I kind of know what this is. You kind of know that it's not going to be nothing groundbreaking. I just wanted something to enjoy. And here is a little bit of Bad Boys for Life. Marcus, somebody's trying to kill me. Who wants to kill you? I don't trust a person that don't want to kill him. Hell, put my name up there. Thanks a lot. We got it, Marcus. We appreciate it. So this one was directed by two guys who go by Aldi and Bilal which is a departure from Michael Bay, who directed the first two movies. He's known for Transformers and really the guy who loves to put explosions in movies. So this movie did have a bit of a different feel. I'll kind of compare this one to Fast and the Furious, which in the early days, those movies were just straight-on action movies. And over the course of time, they're almost superheroes now, which is weird going into a, like a Fast and the Furious movie. So in this one... I did feel like they kind of had that a bit of approach to uh, making Will Smith just like a really big, impenetrable character, like a superhero almost. But that aside from the movie, I really just enjoyed this movie. So it's supposed to be like their one last time together, kind of reliving early days as police officers in this final attempt to find a bad guy. I thought the action in it was great. The overall story was okay. There's some cheesiness in it. It's an action movie with, you know, you expect the cheesy lines and the plot just kind of moves along very dramatically. But I really like Martin Lawrence and Will Smith together. I think Martin Lawrence is just a very underrated comedic actor and it's good to kind of see him in this role again, which I think them together is just a really great pairing. And it's also kind of nice to see Will Smith with a hit again. Like this movie has been number one now for a few weeks. And I think they did that by giving audiences exactly what they wanted. <laughs> Do you have to see it in theaters? Probably not. Unless you're a really big Will Smith fan, you could probably wait a bit to see this. But I was just surprised at just how solid of an addition to the franchise that this was. And it did kind of inspire me to the segment I want to do next. Because in the movie, there's this scene where they're in a pursuit and... Will Smith runs out of a club in order to chase down one of the bad guys, and he goes up to a guy and asks him for his car, which I see this all the time in action movies where a police officer can just go to anybody and say, I need your car, police activity. They steal the car and end up probably destroying it in the chase. And you never see the repercussions of that. I also didn't know if you can actually do that in like real life. If an officer stops you on the street and says they need your car for police activity, can they actually do that? So... In my next list, I want to include things that happen in movies that never happened in real life. So, can an officer actually do that? Let's see. So here are my top five things that are normal in movies but totally unrealistic in real life. First of all, is what happens in action movies where a police officer demands um, a civilian's car, can they actually legally take that away from them? What I found is they actually can. Like, that is a real thing that can happen. It's different state by state, but the law in California states that if a police officer 
says that they need your vehicle, you legally have to give it to them. And if not, you can actually be fined, ticketed, and if not, arrested for not giving a police officer your car. So I hope that never happens to me in real life. I've never really heard of it actually happening, but apparently that is a real thing that can happen. At number two on the list, which kind of also happens in Bad Boys, is that when somebody is heavily outnumbered in a fight or in any kind of attack, that the people attacking them wait to attack them one by one. This would never really happen in real life. Why would somebody just sit back and wait for the action to unfold? Like, oh, he just beat up that guy. Oh, he just beat up that guy. Oh, I'm about to get beat up next. I think in real life, they would all just attack the person, and there's no real way that one guy could essentially clear a room of like 10. You only see that happening in movies. Why would they wait? At number three of things that happen in movies but don't really happen in real life is that the phone only rings or you only get text messages that move the plot line along. So every phone call that you get in a movie is essentially like somebody revealing another part of the plot or something that needs to go down in it. But in reality, you get a lot of several like phone calls that have nothing to do with happening in your life at that time. But yet in a movie, everything pertains to the plot. And also in movies, they never end a phone call with saying goodbye. The conversation is just over. And at number four of things that happen in movies but don't happen in real life is that no criminal charges are ever charged after these people have crazy shootouts in a movie. Like they just go, they have high speed chases going down where they crash into buildings, probably hit other people's cars. And that never comes up again in the movie. It's just all about them catching the criminal, they catch the guy, and everything kind of gets wrapped up into a nice little bow. It's like, hold up, dude. You ended up wrecking three cars. You hit like three pedestrians back there, and you get no criminal charges for that, all because you caught the bad guy. And at number five of things that happen in movies but don't happen in real life, um, there was a scene in this Bad Boys movie where they're going to drop off the baby um, with his wife, and and they pull right up to the spa and get a front row parking spot to that place. When in real life, there is no way you're going, let alone to a place in Miami and getting a parking spot right outside of a place, which happens all the time in movies. They're going somewhere, and they pull right up into a front row parking spot. When in reality, they would probably have to go into a parking garage, pay like 20 bucks to park, and go up like three levels before they even got to that. So you see that happening in movies. Doesn't happen in real life. And I'll throw a bonus one in there because this one kind of gets me. I didn't see it in Bad Boys, but when people make plans in a movie, they automatically know like when it's going to happen. Because like say in a rom-com, they're like, the guy finally asked the girl to go out on a date. And he's like, oh, how about tomorrow, 7 p.m.? Okay, great. And the scene is over. They don't make any plans of what restaurant they're going to. There's no exchanging of phone numbers. And they just end up showing up at that place at the same time and everything works out fine. In reality, you could never make plans like that. It'd be like, oh, you want to go tomorrow night at 7 p.m.? And it'd be like, oh, I can't do tomorrow night. How about next Tuesday? Tuesday's no good for me. How about this night? Okay, I'll text you uh, my number. You text me back later. Like That's how it happens in real life. People don't, don't just show up because you say it's going to happen. And even then, now, you make the plans and then you follow up on text like the day before. Like, oh, we're still on for tomorrow. Oh, yeah. You don't just make plans and it goes away and then it all happens. So anyway, that's just a little rant there on my own I got into. But yes, things that happen in movies that don't actually happen in real life. There's the list. All right, and that's the episode for this week. Let me throw out my Instagram shout out to Tyler's S. Arnold on Instagram, who was doing a really cool painting and said he was catching up on the podcast. So thanks, Tyler, for listening. I think he's also like working on this cool painting that he's going to give me. So um, I'll be excited to see what he ends up doing with that. Thanks again for listening to the podcast. And I will talk to you guys again next week. Um, it will be after the Oscars. So I'm going to record a bit of it 
like right after the Oscars of my reactions to who wins. So um, go to my Instagram, check out my picks and picks on the Oscars. It, that is not just my pictures, but if you want to see those, those are there too. All right. I'll talk to you guys next week. Later. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cash back on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.